This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. I have officially unlocked uh, my last 40k achievement, which is someone recognized me and asked me if I was Nick Nanavati, which made me very happy. So Nick, if you're listening, achievement unlocked. I'm officially the new brown magic. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. This week on Stat Center, Seattle set our hearts on fire at T-Ship. What you gonna do when Crumble Holmes 12-inch template run wild on you at the SummerSlam GT? We saw trouble on the way as a bad moon rose yet again at the Bad Moon GT Part 3 can't hide from us as we catch up with the folks from the Super Secret GT. Loosen your ties, your belts, and your morals when we check out the boardroom brawl. And we stride through the gates of hell once again to bring you news from the Hellstorm 3. Hello everyone, welcome to a very special episode of 40k Stat Center. Why is it special, you may ask? Because Val was too sleepy to record, and so we decided it was time to introduce you to our second backup host, Pablo the Rhino Martinez. Say hello, Pablo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. Whoa, Pablo, Pablo. Uh, This isn't an episode of Chapter Tactics. You're right, Peter. This is a special pirate episode of 40K Stat Center. And since I suck as a 40K player, I decided to take advantage of a lethargic Heffelfinger and go after Dat Booty. Val, I know you're suffering, buddy, from editing, but Q... The chapter tactics music. Here we go, Falcon. On to the main topic. I can't believe I'm the guy that has to put us back on track. We had another weekend featuring an absolute swath of GTs and majors. How are you holding up? I'm back on track, eh? Well, my eyes hurt, my wrists hurt, and my heart hurts from trying to track all of these events, particularly the ones that wouldn't show me any of their lists. But we trudge on. This is a packed episode with six events to cover, and we've got a lot to talk about. So that being said, we should probably plug a few things here, Pablo. First off, a big shout-out... Whoa, 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 Peter. What? I have to stop you. Okay. I listen to Stat Center every week. I agree. And I have to say that... Your plugs are abysmal. Uh, you're hurting me, buddy. First off, this pirate episode of Stats Center is brought to you by the Frontline Gaming Network, your one-stop podcast stop for all things 40K and possibly in the future Age of Sigmar-related stuff. Also, this episode was brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org, where we are hosting a Matt Summer Super Sale, where you can get mats at a discount. 15% off. 15? I thought it was 20, but you know what? I'll take any deal I can get. I'm pretty sure it's 20. You know, the numbers start to get together <laughs> after a while. And then finally, Peter, where can people find all these awesome lists? Oh, for sure. So we can check out any list that you want at Best Coast Pairings. Recommend you get a subscription so you can uh, take a look at them anytime. Um, because really, without Best Coast Pairings and you know their brother and sister networks, we wouldn't be able to do this show. 
Now, lastly, before we get on to the actual tournament coverage, I think it's time that uh, I say one last word for a very special event, uh, to me and Val at least, maybe not to anyone else in the world, and that's Capital City Bloodbath. It's happening August 16th to 18th. They're expecting roughly 120 Warhammer 40k players on top of a plethora of other uh, wargaming events that are going to be happening over that long Ottawa weekend. It's going to be a great time. Val and I are going to be there providing commentary along with the ever-salty Rob the Honest Wargamer and his good old partner in crime, John Scrivens. Um, It should be an amazing time. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, just talking with the guys about what we're pla- uh, about all our plans, the setup that Honest Wargamers put together for the event. It's going to be absolute madness, and it's really going to help that I'm taking a red eye there, um, and will show up the day of the event, um, like just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, with that sleep I'll be taking on that B seven three seven. You'll be descending from the rafters. <laughs> Pretty much, that's the that's the go-to plan. But enough plugs. Let's get to that first bump. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events easier seattle home and birthplace to grunge music starbucks disappointing super bowl runs and perhaps most importantly to the seattle heart of fire tournament now t-shift has been a stalwart bastion of competitive warhammer in the pacific northwest for years despite annual raids from northern california tryhards southern california tryhards too greasy passive aggressive vancouverites and so many more. We were able to get a hold of event organizer Ben Shimololor for some background history on this lauded event. I actually am not the original TO. Uh, the event goes back to a man named Zen uh, who ran and created the event. He named it T-Shift, the Seattle Heart of Fire tournament. And uh, it started out as a Warhammer fantasy tournament. I eventually grew to add 40K. Uh, it started out... Gosh, I think it's been going for at least a decade or so. Well, probably close to two decades now. Um, And it's really grown from there. Fantasy kind of faded away, and we've tried some other games. I came on board uh, about 2014. But perhaps the most important thing that I can talk about in this interview is we're rebranding. We're no longer going to be T-Shift. We're changing our name to the Cascadia Championship, Cascadia Champs. Uh, This is kind of because... The most common question we get is, what's T-Shift? What's it mean? And, you know, we, you know, the name's been around for a long time and we appreciate it, but uh, given that we're all new people with it, we kind of are ready to rebrand and uh, move forward with a new name. Uh, Still going to be the same awesome event. Still going to be connected with Cruise Hammer. Still going to be connected with Wet Coast. And, you know, we're going to continue to have our event grow. We're hoping soon to Maybe next event have 140k players, maybe look at 40 AOS players and grow to a major. That would be really great. Have some more major AOS events uh, for the ITC. And, you know, if we get the AOS numbers up too, we can give a full cruise ticket for that event and uh, keep growing those communities. 
Now this year, T-Shift tried to breach the 100 player mark, but came up just short, landing at 88 eventual active players. Still a mighty fine accomplishment for what has become a beloved aspect of the competitive 40k scene for some two decades. Ben was kind enough to talk up the goings-on this year, what they expected, and, and how it really all turned out. But more back to the venue. The venue uh, hall is was getting a little cozy because we've grown a lot this year. We had about 90 40K players and about 30 Age of Sigmar players, but um, we had enough room for everybody. We had a couple extra tables left over, so there's still a little room for us to grow. Uh, we had room for streaming for an Age of Sigmar game and 40K, so that was really nice. Uh, so there's a hotel located right next to it, so you know you can come get your drink on during your game. Still have somewhere locally to safe place to crash. We have a lot of out-of-towners from all over the Pacific Northwest and uh, Canada, so it's a really great, fits our needs. Um, that being said, we are exploring some other options, potentially to move the event, see if it's still cost-effective, still at a hotel, see if you know we can get access to uh, good, reliable things at an affordable price so we can keep giving out good prizes and investing in good terrain. Take care of you. One thing that T-Shift has really worked and grown on is trying to push good terrain. Uh, in the past, as we've grown and as the additions changed, we didn't always rise to meet that. And that was something I tried to really focus on when I came, board as a T came on board as a TO. Uh, and actually, I have to give big credit to Dan Miner and his wife, Heather, for designing these amazing terrain sets. We call them Battlefields in a Box. And essentially, uh, you have like a larger size building that all break have a bunch of smaller buildings breaking down sides kind of like uh, Russian dolls and they all can come packed into these little boxes and you can fit two of them in a banker's box so you get two full 40k fields in a box and there's pretty dang good coverage in them for sure they definitely I think meet tournament standards especially considering what we've seen as far as tournament goes uh, what tournament terrain goes as and they're themed and they're cool and we have more coming out as um, new design so I think that's going to be really exciting for us to share with everyone so in terms of the meta, uh, we saw actually, quite frankly, not that many knights, uh, in my opinion. I really was expecting far more knights to be seen. Uh, didn't see as many Imperium armies. There was a lot more Tau than I was expecting. Um, you saw a nice range of armies overall, but uh, I mean, you know, third place went to Necrons of all things. You know, what year is that? About so um, that's kind of cool. I think T shifts always actually had a pretty good spread. Uh, especially for being such a larger event. Uh, we saw, you know, Jim take it home with his demons. We saw, you know, good forces of chaos present, uh, a lot of Imperium present in town, Eldari. But, you know, you saw a lot of, like, even mono space marines that were there, and that was kind of cool. Uh, there was a beautiful mono Death Watch army. So I think there's a good spread and balance. We invite all level of, you know, competitive players and hobbyists, which I think is the rewarding part for everyone there. So overall in the event, you know, we it ran pretty smooth. There was one minor hiccup that uh, was my part fall for sure. It's been a little while since I've run an event, so I was a little rusty with uh, BCP, which is an amazing app. But I accidentally, in trying to delete a round four because we had so many drops before it got started, I accidentally deleted round three. Now, thankfully, we still have paper packets, and uh, between most people writing down their scores and most people having good memories, we quickly recovered all the points, actually, especially considering we had about 80 players at that time. And so we were able to re-record the round in only about five minutes, uh, which, quite frankly, is a 
thank, uh, thankfully in part, well, mostly in part to the players. Uh, but Mitch Pelham, who was the uh, rules TO and rules judge, um, was instrumental in helping organize and get everybody back. And Dan Miner played a big part in that too. So they fixed my mistake. Now, Pablo, you have a lot of history running or assisting uh, Reese and Frankie in running major events. Exactly how many times have you deleted a complete round of gameplay? Oh, so Reese wouldn't want me to tell you guys this. However, once. Oh, really? So Ben is not alone in deleting all of round three and having to manually input all of the data before people woke up in the morning (laughs) for their round four gameplay? Not quite that, although although, um, it was pretty epic uh and for those of you who were there for that uh, i'm not going to mention any names about where it was but it's okay you know even the best tournaments get catastrophic meltdown events happen to them just <laughs> the way it is um the other thing i'd like to bring up from uh, ben's little talk there is the the big rebranding for t-shift i mean a- an event that's been running for close to 20 years now um a, a name change is a big deal uh, to be fair um, I'm kind of glad they are doing it because I had no idea that it meant anything other than T-Shift. Um, so big on them for finally getting the idea that maybe they should call it something else. They really should have rebranded it to the letter T hyphen shift bar, like a command on a computer, like T-Shift. Yeah. I mean, the Cascadia Champs probably has some kind of meaning, but who knows? <laughs> uh, meaning... T-shift is the true meaning of competitive 40K in the Northwest. <laughs> I like it. So um, a number of the Northwest's finest were actually on display at T-shift this year, including Colin C. Major Sherman, Michael the Cryptic Cryptech Timpe, and Scott the Vape King Cairns. Tau players in particular were at T-shift in abundance. In fact, uh, for one brief shining moment after round four, they held three of the top four spots in the event. But they could not hold a candle to one man, one myth, one legend. Jim, most brown magical vessel. Now, Jim has been bridesmaiding a bit for the past couple of months, frequently getting to the top table events, but not able to finally capitalize as he's done so frequently earlier in the season. That all changed at T-Shift as the vegan pizza connoisseur brought out some new tech and showed Washington what he was all about. Now, Pablo... Val and I have this uh, continual kind of banter back and forth over who reads lists better uh, better online. Um, did you want to give a go at reading Jim's list, or did you want to hear from the master first? I have a feeling that you speak these lists to yourself in your sleep, and then wake up screaming binary, and then they spawn themselves in the internet. So I'm going to let you take this. That is a terrifying proposition, and you are... About 70% correct. So, Jim Vessel at T-Shift, he brought a Supreme Command Detachment of Thousand Sons with Ahriman and two Demon Princes of Zinch, uh, both running them wings and malefic talons, and one of them had the Helm of the Third Eye. He then had a Chaos Demons Battalion of the Undivided type with a Changecaster, that Corn Demon Prince of Chaos with the Super Murder Axe, and the Contorted Epitome. He then had 20 Bloodletters, 30 Horrors, and 10 Brimstone Horrors. And those uh, 30 Horrors were of the pink variety. Lastly, he had a Nurgle Demon Detachment, battalion style with a Poxbringer, Sloppity Bile Piper, 3 Nurglings, 30 Plague Bearers, and another 30 Plague Bearers. Pablo, do you notice something different here? Well, first of all, 
He's missing a certain special robotic someone. Um, someone who he's, he has been kind of going in and out, back and forth. I am, of course, talking about his illegitimate lover, Dreadnought. The C-Beam Dread has been removed from Jim's list. R.I.P. You helped Forge World sell many models, Jim Vessel. China almost made you a secondary citizen. But you lost out to the Caladius Grav Tank. <laughs> At this point, yes, you've lost out to the Caladius Grav Tank. So yeah, Jim has dropped the uh, the Relic Dreadnought, or sorry, not the Relic, because uh, he's a uh, Hellforged Dreadnought, in uh, favor of the Contorted Epitome, the Mirror Master. Uh, now, Jim did have a lot to say in particular about the Epitome. Um, let's hear a few words from him. Before I get into how I did, I'm uh, just going to talk a little bit about a few list changes. So um, I ran my pretty standard um, Chaos list. Uh, I was going to run a dis Disco Lord list with uh, a few more toys, but I just didn't have enough practice games in it to feel confident that um, I was going to be able to perform at a high level. So I took my standard list. I dropped my Thousands on Sor Terminator Sorcerer and my Contemptor CV, May It Rest in Peace, amazing model. Uh, and I threw in a uh, Contorted Epitome and with the extra points, I just upped my blood letters and horrors to, to bigger squads. Um, the epitome was freaking amazing. Um, if you're not playing the contorted epitome in Chaos List, you are not playing Chaos. Um, between its powers, the fallback um, stopping, and the Forbidden Gem, it I would say it probably won me, or at least made me easily win three of my six games. Um, there's a there is a few feel bads with the Forbidden Gem, but you know that's kind of the way it goes. Um, but overall, great model. Uh, definitely going to try to make it in every one of my lists going forward. So big words from the big man himself. You heard it here first. If you're not running the contorted epitome, you've made a terrible mistake. Now, when we caught Jim, he was sitting alone in his underwear, still a bundle of nerves coming off of his big win. We're pretty sure this is his default state of being, but it did leave a slightly jittery take on his games. As far as my matchups, um, my first two matchups were not too bad. I played, um, what did I play? I played Imperium, and then I played uh, JP Mawet, who is the um, admin of Competitive 40K. Um, he actually seized on me uh, and proceeded to kill 11 Plague Bears in his first turn with his Dark Eldar, spending both, both his, uh, both his uh, uh, eight command points on both a Vect and uh, two Vex, and I proceeded to roll one for my... Plague Bears got six, uh, five back and then proceeded to charge his Venoms and tie them in combat. Um, the two key kind of turning points of the game were when I crashed one of his planes by tagging it with uh, piling in Bloodletters and then ran the mirror next to them, crashed uh, one of his uh, Razor Wings, and then I also uh, got charged by his Incarn into my Corn Prince. But of course, the Forbidden Gem came through. Uh, Incarn just stood there and then got whack a mold by the Corn Prince. He was not very happy. Um, my second, my third game was against a really tough Tyranian match. Uh, just barely took that one out. Uh, fourth game was against, uh, Michael Tempe, who is the Lord, uh, Lord savior of all things Necron. Uh, excellent game. Probably one of my toughest matchups of the day. Um, was very, very tough game and you can actually catch it on stream. Um, my fifth game against Colin Sherman, who's also an excellent player. He is just starting Tau. So, uh, there's a few things that, you know, I was able to kind of teach him in the matchup and, um, you know, uh, we had a really close game as well. Uh, my sixth game was actually a little bit easier, and that was mainly due to the scenario. Crucible of Champions with Chaos in my list is just ridiculous. So, uh, plus the mirror against Tau. I think the Tau player only got to shoot three out of the six uh, phases because in every other phase, I just he had literally nothing to shoot at. So that was uh, that was very feel badsy. 
also to add on the top player game, um, he was trying to kind of be cool, cool, cool guy hipster dude with no marker lights for his Tau. Um, I'm not sure if he uh, had done a lot of narcotics earlier or if he um, maybe had some sort of psychic, psychotic, uh, you know, episode. But do not play Tau with zero marker lights. It is a terrible idea. Uh, that is my advice to all aspiring Tau players. Basically, uh, I just tied up drones with the mirror and plague bears and did my best not to kill any. And literally, he just didn't kill anything um, for multiple turns. I, I fed him a unit of horrors turn three because I started to feel bad, um, but I could have easily just deployed them in my deployment zone at the back, and he would have literally gotten one kill in the entire game. Thanks, Jim, for regaling us with stories on your win. And a big shout-out to Ty Aguilari, who flew so high so fast, only realized he did not have the marker lights he needed to fend off the sun. Uh, let's round out our coverage with some last tidbits from the new Brown Magic. Uh, one thing I did forget to mention is that, um, and if you didn't infer this already, I did win the event. <laughs> I won uh, best overall. Uh, I did actually also win best painted, hashtag hobby drag. And uh, the prize for best overall was actually a ticket for Cruise Hammer. Cruise Hammer is basically exactly what it sounds. It is a cruise, a Warhammer event on a cruise. Uh, they, have what, what, uh, they have them every other year. Uh, the next one is in August of 2020. Um, if it's a super fun event, uh, just Google Cruise Hammer and you can find out all the details. I would definitely recommend going because I will be there. And then my next event is going to be Capital City Bloodbath in Ottawa, Ontario, and then the Nova Open. So if you guys are going to any of those events and you see me, make sure to say hi. Um, I love meeting new people. Uh, just don't send me your army list. Love it. Bye-bye. Ah, uh, yeah. Once again, don't send Jim Vessel your army lists. He will block you on the internet. Now give me that bump. Tournament news. This is Colin. This is Mitch. This is Chuck. And we're from the Best in Faction podcast, and you're listening to 40k Stat Center, where one host has a really strange nickname, and the other one's called the Falcon. Oh yeah! Coming right at you right now is nothing other than the World Warhammer Federation's marquee event, Summer Slam. Oh yeah, brother. It's a 66-player ITC event in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, and I'm not talking about those little burgers. Oh no, brother. I'm talking about the premier city in England's northeast. So far north that it's basically Scotland. Oh yeah. It was run by the fine folks at Majority T3. Ask your parents what that means, kids at home. The event certainly seemed well-received and impeccably run, featuring UK rarities such as air conditioning, a united populace, and terrain. The diminutive and overly enthusiastic host, Ricky Lowe, had this to say about his beloved event south of Hadrian's Wall. The Summer Slam GT is held in newcastle upon Tyne in the UK, which is where this weird accent is from. This is the first year I've ever run events. I ran the Northeast Open, which was a 30-man RTT in February. Then I decided to push for a GT in August and ended up with a major. It was a pretty scary prospect, but I think we'll pull it off. Um, I hope so, but you'll have to ask the players. So I started running events because there's so many people who have helped me throughout this hobby and I've become friends with them. So it was, I think it was time to give something back. And Newcastle needed a tournament. It's such a cool place to party and hang out, and I think everybody needed to experience it. We gave out a fair few prizes from all our sponsors, but the true prizes were the TT Cocktail Trophies and the SummerSlam title belt. We tried to keep our tables set layout, apart from the maybe three or five bottom tables. We did three this year, but they're heavily themed. So if you're like bombing hard in rounds four and five, you get to play on an absolutely premium gaming table, which I think is pretty nice. And um, 
there was actually a time when a bye happened in round two and I got to play on one. So I thoroughly enjoyed my weekend. Like, got three games in, I think. Uh, they all supply with battle mats and all the usual ruins, line of sight blocking. Um, maybe we'll do it a bit denser next year, but, you know, it was great as a whole. I think everybody thoroughly enjoyed it. If you want any takeaways from this, I would just watch the space for the Northeast to open and keep it majority T3, baby. So, meta-wise, I knew a lot of players were coming from around the country, and I, I know most of them, but it was good to see it open up. Nothing rose to the top based on list design, in my opinion, but player skill was such a huge element on how everything broke down. And it made for some great games from the top tables to the bottom, and everything was super interesting to see go down. Now, at the conclusion of Day 2, there were two undefeated players, and one was just slightly more undefeated than the other. Let's have a look at local douche, Thomas Do. You do not pronounce that douche. I, I believe you do. I believe you do. Thomas Douche, who we're sure has never had that joke made about his name ever before, and is currently blown away by your originality. Thomas Douche, or Duche, I, I don't know. Um, he's running a battalion of Death Skulls with the specialist detachment, uh, the Dread Wog. Two Big, Mac, big Mechs, not Big Macs, with shock attack guns. 30 Gretchen. Another battalion of bad moons with a runt herd, two weird boys, and 61 Gretchen in three units, 15 Ludas, and then an Evil Sons battalion detachment with a war boss with custom shooter and power claw, a war boss on war bike with custom shooter and power claw, a third weird boy, and then 30, 60, 90, 100 orc boys. He rounds that all out with a pain boy on foot and a pain boy on war bike. This is one of those big mobby orc lists that people love and hate to see. Um, still sticking with the 15 Ludas, which is actually, if you're paying attention to tournament coverage, works for players are starting to move away from Ludas, starting to switch to other, not unconventional, but definitely different units. However, Thomas really wanted those Ludas, and they served him well. Yeah, I agree, and it it is something that's uh, very interesting to see, this kind of uh, battle over whether Ludas should be taken or not. Um, a lot of the recent events that have had wins have been people that have brought the Ludas back into their lists, um, but, you know, there have been a couple guys out there that have been throwing out tank busters and all sorts of other wonky things. This is a question to you wacky wah warriors out there in the YouTube comments, and frontlinegaming.org comment section. I want to know your opinion. Ludas or nah? Let's hear what Thomas had to say about his list and the stellar units they're in. <laughs> Throughout the entire tournament, I totally forgot about the Death School 6 buff Invun, so never used it once, and my Warlord traits of to reroll ones and to snipe characters. And I totally forgot to use the third Weird Boy in all five games. Uh, I don't know why, just totally forgot it was in my list. So my approach with this list differs with what I'm actually playing. Uh, if I'm playing a close combat army that has to come to me to be effective, I'll sit back and shoot, only pushing up maybe one unit of boys to take objectives uh, and to get a little bit of ball control until the threat is neutralised. Or if it's a gun line, say guard or tell, I'm usually up in the face first turn, with 40 boys trying to tag as much as I can to, to shut their shooting down, but it all depends on the opposing army. Uh, luckily at this event, I managed to face pretty much 
every type of army, I'd say. So I had Eldar, I had Gene Steeler Cult, I had Necrons, I had Magnus and Morty and Friends, and then finally I had Admech. As for MVPs this weekend, got to say the, the Looters and the Grot Shields, they, they always put in work where I needed them. Um, they're a great bullet magnet as well where people are just focusing on them and then the gives the boys then times to get up the field. Um, and then maybe closely followed by the Shock Attack Gun Relic and the normal one because they're great fun and when they work, they work. When they don't work, they really, really don't work. Thomas battled his way to a 5-0 finish with his fairly classically assembled Orcalus, besting Simon Fitzpatrick's tricked-out Admech on the second table. Let's let Thomas regale us with his war story, shall we? So, game five, and my toughest game for sure the weekend, was against Amazing Man, uh, Simon Fitzpatrick, and his pure Admech army, with points set aside for a cheeky little assassin. His list consisted of 13 breaches in a few different squads with arc rifles, 10 destroyers with plasmids and flamers, 3 Daka Daka bots, 20 rangers. He used a Vindicare assassin against me, a call and a plethora of other assorting supporting characters. There was a lot of firepower in his list, and looking at it first, I thought there is no chance I'm going to win this game unless I go first. Um, and at this point, he was going first, but luckily, I did manage to seize the initiative and take first turn, which was which was crucial because uh, I needed to kill as much as I can before he rained down fire on me. So the first thing I I focused on was to kill the Daka bots, and that was crucial as they put out a hell of amount of shots, especially at my orcs, which then don't get a save and only getting the six up and they would have choose through it. So luckily I did seize. I did go first. I did manage to kill his Daka bots and a few of his breaches while moving out everything to take ball control and keep him out of range of my looters and my shock attack gun. But with line of sight and the deployment type, I had to, to jump the looters first turn to get them stood in a good place with good line of sight on the Daka bots to take them out as a priority. From then on, it was a case of holding more than him and not allowing him to kill stuff off because of my war boss and my runt herder stopping things from running. Uh, then mobbing units up, the jumping stuff, using greed tide to bring stuff back, and then trying to lock up as many units in close combat so they couldn't shoot or my stuff couldn't be shot. His assassin was a massive pain in the butt as I had to be very, very careful of where to place my characters, uh, my weird boys, my war bosses who all play a major role in my army because they've, they've not got great toughness. They literally have very weak save and they have very little wounds. Yes, I can heal them every so often with a pain boy. But then again, they, they were hiding here, there and everywhere just to try and keep out a lot of sight. But as Vindicators usually do, he rolled ones for a lot of his hits. CP rolled three times with a hit and rolled a one again on most of them. So I was quite lucky. The game went down to literally the last minutes on the clock. And were, I was able to win 23-18. I think without first turn, it would have been a very, very different game. And a very difficult game for me to climb. It would have been an upward climb to try and claw back. Especially with those Dakabots just nailing every, pretty much everything I had uh, first turn. So it was a great game. Uh, he was, Simon was a great, great opponent. So, yeah, I was just very happy to win out the win. 
Now, of course, Thomas was only one of two undefeated players at the event, and none other than newly trimmed 40k stat center UK correspondent Mark the Eldari Anvil Crumblebum took the top title with a list chock full of his beloved pointy-eared sadists. Now, Pablo, if you were to go to 40kstatcenter.com slash SummerSlamGT, I think you'd be able to take a look at this list. You would, and here it is. First, he brought a Prophets of Flesh Battalion with Urien Rakarth, one Homunculus with a Stinger Pistol and the Vexator Mask, three units of five Rasks, seven, three units of seven Grotesques, one Cabal the Black Heart Flyer Wing with, you guessed it, three Razor Wing Jet Fighters with two Disintegrators, and finally a Soaring Spite, Harlequin's Vanguard Detachment with a Shadow Seer, and three Death Jesters rounded off with six Skyweaver Jet Bikes with Haywire Cannons, and Zephyr Glaives. So uh, this list is very, very similar to one that Mark ran uh, not just four weeks ago at Warzone Man, um, and one that he got the victory in. Um, He did make one change, though. He swapped out his um, uh, Ravagers that he had been running with an Archon in his Cabal of the Blackheart uh, list for those Razorwing Jet Fighters. Um, We pulled it out to Mark to kind of explain... The change in the list, and really just how the event went for him in, in total. Let's uh, cut to a clip from him. Yeah, so um, I swapped out the Ravagers and the Archon for a uh, Shadow Seer and three Razorwing Jet Fighters. Um, loving that change, to be fair. Uh, that came after a conversation with um, with Conrad, my uh, Warzone man, fifth round opponent. Um, the additional move, Psychic Power really really helps me in the uh, sort of lengthways deployment matches um to either apply threat or, or or you know get the bikes into some sort of useful position um and the additional minus one to hit on the jet fighters uh, as well as the wounding on two missiles just makes them more of a flexible choice than than anything else and it helps me grab um early recon points um which is really uh, a bit of a treat for my list uh, which tends to normally just sort of be a, a bit of a slow crawl across the board. Um, definitely prefer the planes and, and the um, the Psyker and uh, can't. I reckon list MVP wise for for this um, this weekend, it's just got to be the grotesques. Uh, they're so reliable, so good at controlling sections of the board. Whether it's just for hold more or just for for putting pressure on the on people um really helped me in the round four match against the gene stealer cult which was probably the, the toughest match um but yeah overall they're just a, a very very flexible unit now mark rolled into SummerSlam as the undisputed heavyweight champion of the isle of man as i've said earlier having just come off a of victory at Warzone. let's let mark regale us a bit about this pay-per-view specifically how he leg dropped Body slammed and airplane spinned his opponent, Mike the Dumpster Duff's Triple Crashed Crusader list into oblivion. I didn't have any any particularly easy games, but um, James McKenzie with his Gene Stealer Cult in round four was a uh, a tough match. It always is. Um, the grotesques really helped me apply pressure, um, control my section of the board. Um, by the time he'd finally got through them all, I was too far ahead for him to catch up on points. So, uh, yeah. Um, that was a really tough match. And my fifth game um, against Imperial Knights, uh, a new player. Um, who it turns out lives quite near to me, so I'm hoping to um, 
to play him again in some uh, some practice games. Uh, he played really, really well. Um, my list is pretty good against Knights. Um, again, a lot of board control. Um, I can restrict the Knights' movement if I need to. Um, overall, though, um, just about snuck that final win. Congrats again, Mr. Crombopulous. It is bump time. Tournament news. Hello, everyone. This is Dustin from the Stutter Scrub Podcast, and you're listening to the 40K Stat Center. From pro wrestling to wrestling with reality, we set our eyes at the super secret GT in Tallahassee, Florida, where the bros from Brohammer aim to replicate their trailer park successes and crush their opposition through the barbed wire and thumbtacks that make up our hearts. Cody Saltz, or Seuss, as we would say it in Canada, T.O. and head judge from the event gave us the lowdown. Now, it should be noted that Richard the Full Windsor Siegler took one for the team and assisted in judging the event to avoid skewing the stats on ties even further. The event was the Super Secret GT. Uh, the venue was actually a store in Governor Square Mall uh, called Super Secret Bonus Level, uh, hence the name. It is the first year that we've held this event. Um, we probably can't expand it anymore past 32 just for space reasons with uh, Super Secret Bonus Level. And it's part of an ongoing, ongoing uh, group of events that me and a couple of local boys are putting together trying to expand and grow the local community. started with the Gladius RTT, uh, this is Super Secret GT, and then we're planning on hosting at Majors in the spring. All in all, the event went very smoothly. Uh, we had a, a rather heavy field. Uh, in terms of the skill cap of the players that we had uh, come out and join us. And once you get players of, uh, of that certain skill cap, it tends to, to get rid of a lot of the minor rules conflicts. Uh, so that, that ended up going pretty smoothly. And we didn't, have anybody, uh, we didn't have anybody make a jerk of themselves, which is always nice. You know, there's nobody we had to talk to about their behavior. Uh, everybody got along pretty well, and the event flowed very smoothly. Uh, the one thing that I didn't enjoy is we couldn't start day two until noon just because of the mall's policy, which is one of the reasons we'll probably not have it in the mall in the future. Um, yeah. I did go through and talk to the more experienced players, uh, Andrew Ford, for instance, after the event, and asked them, you know, how was the event? Did you like the terrain? Did you like the setup, the location? Uh, one of the reviews that I kept getting consistently is uh, that some of the tables needed a little higher density of terrain. Um, there was... You know, there were some people grumbling their table didn't have magic boxes. Some people grumbling their table did have magic boxes. Um, but all in all, the, the one review I got was that whether or not there were, the, uh, the terrain density needed to be a little higher. Uh, and I agree on some of the tables. So that's something we'll be looking at to improve for future events. Yeah, so John Lennon uh, ran a Gene Steeler Colts battalion of the Twisted Helix variety. Uh, and he used the Anointed Throng Specialist Detachment. He had an Abominant HQ a Patriarch, three units of ten Brood Brothers, and then two squads of ten Aberrants, eight with power picks, two with heavy uh, impro improvised weapons in both in both squads. He then had a Biophagus, a Clamavis, and a Nexus. He also had a second Twisted Helix Battalion of the Deliverance Brood Surge variety. This had an Acolyte Icon Ward, a second Patriarch, twenty of them Hand Flamer Acolyte Hybrids, and a squad of uh, 15 hybrids, six of which had rock saws. Uh, rounding out that battalion was another squad of 10 brood brothers. And then lastly, he had a mixed battalion of Gene Steeler cults with that third patriarch, a Primus, and 30 more brood brothers, and a Sanctus. 
So a big thing about this list and a, a bit of a change for John is that for quite some time now, um, he his third battalion has been a Kraken a Tyranid one. Um, to take advantage of uh, scampering about with them termagants and broodlords. But he has dropped that in favor of getting an abominant in his list. Um, we did reach out to John to get his opinion on why the change. Hey guys, this is John Lennon, fresh out of the Super Secret GT in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, I was running my standard Gene Stealer cult list, which is three battalions. It's a bit of a shakeup from what I was running at the Bay Area Open and Carolina Crusade because I dropped a Tyranid battalion to add a third Gene Stealer cult battalion. This has let me upgrade my characters to a third Patriarch and an Abominant. Uh, both of those have been incredible. You know, having more melee characters is great, and the Gene Stealer cult have awesome psychic powers, so it's wonderful to have that extra, you know, extra little bit of casting in there. Uh, so far, though, the Abominant has been a wonderful add. Uh, getting that extra plus one to charge on the Aberrant squads by taking Field Commander on him has really made them a lot more reliable out of Deep Strike. Getting plus two to my charges is similar to the Cult of the Farmed Emperor, but I get to have the fight twice of Twisted Helix still, so to me it's the best of both worlds because I can clear out a squad of like Guardsmen with perfect ambush on a Handflamer squad, Deep Strike the Aberrants in, and still have a pretty makeable charge seven inches, something that I'm willing to risk with a command. So John had quite the run, culminating in an absolutely insane 33-30 victory over the Southern gentleman himself, Carter Leach. This isn't the highest scoring game that has been recorded at a GT or a major this year, but it definitely reflects what sounds like an exciting final matchup between two top perform performers. John, give us the lowdown. My hardest game of the weekend was round 5 against Carter Leach. Carter was running a Windrider host with three Autarchs, three large units of jet bikes, and three Eldar Flyers, as well as uh, several uh, Ranger squads and a large Guardian Bomb. Um, it was actually a very high-scoring game because it was priority objective, and I kind of abandoned my backfield in a push to try to kill everything he had that wasn't a Flyer, and I managed to get to his bonus objective, and I held on to it. Unfortunately, I forgot about the Guardian Bomb, so he deep-struck that in my backline, cleared out the troops I had, in my backfield and was able to take my bonus objective so we kind of flipped deployment zones there and from that point I was just trying to hold more than him while scraping my kills together while we were both getting the bonus. Uh, the game swung on turn five when my last aberrant squad came in from reserves took out his guardian squad and was able to keep him from scoring the bonus those last two turns. Um, that let me win by three points because we had both maxed our secondaries and we had both been killing and holding for the entire game. Congratulations to John on somehow managing to create a bro hammer scoring controversy without getting a draw. You're moving up in the world, boys. Let's get that bump. Tournament news. Hi guys, I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer list writing and coaching service, and you're listening to the 40k Stat Center. And now we travel back overseas to London, England, and the Bad Moon GT Part 3, The Badening. Hosted by the London Wargaming Guild and the Bad Moon Cafe, in the absolute apple of the Queen Mum's eye, the Bad Moons are a series of heats leading to a grand finale. The cafe's owner, Boris Mishev, also a participant in the series, gave us the lowdown on how the event works, who was all involved in this third round, and uh, we also just gave him some time to plug his shop. The Badmon GT series is a Warhammer 40,000 Grand Tournament series, which is very similar to what Games Workshop do themselves in uh, at Warhammer World. This is a uh, GT series that we at the Badmon Cafe do together with the London Wargaming Guild. It has three heats, each of which is a 32-man Grand Tournament 
and then the top third of each heat qualify for a final, which is going to be held in December. If you look at who attends these events and who the prior winners are, you'll quickly realize that the, the, some of the strongest and most competitive players in the UK attend these events and looking at the final lineup, it is probably going to be the single most stacked 32-person event that we've had in the UK all year. The venue is, of course, the Bad Moon Cafe, which is, I'd like to think, the best venue to play tabletop games in London. We have uh, beautiful tables, each with a, an amazing set of terrain, with a mat, with a dice rolling tray. We've got space under the table for storage. We've got space between the tables. Um, we've got food, we've got drink, we've got plenty of space, we've got air conditioning. So it's um, the Bad Moon Cafe was really designed to be the best venue possible for tabletop gamers. Uh, and not just Warhammer 40k or Age of Sigmar, we do um, tabletop RPGs, we do card games as well as uh, board games. The one thing which was a little bit, um, I guess, unique for the terrain for the weekend is that we use the um, LGT terrain sets, which we help build and paint for the upcoming LGT. Um, so every table had the exact same terrain set up. It is very much based off the Nova style terrain with two large L's in the middle, four smaller ruins in each corner, two very large line of sight blocking hills in the middle of the long edges and then two craters in the middle of the short edges. So um, very consistent, very functional um, and also good looking terrain on every table. Now, Peter, while he may sound like a Bond villain explaining his hideout and plans for world domination, Boris is actually seems like kind of a sweetheart and he's a longtime listener of our podcasts and a psychic. After last week's episode, Boris openly proclaimed that he would win the Bad Moon GT so he could get his chance to be on the show, and he did it. He lived the dream that I will never live. Pablo, are you saying he babe Ruthed us? He babe Ruthed us. Holy frickin' crap. Hopefully this has nothing to do with him actually owning the venue of the event uh, that it, where it was being played, and everything to do with him being a decent player. What we do know for sure is that Boris ran a rather conventional orc list in today's meta, though he did make one specific change. Now, Pablo, do you happen to have that list up? He had one Bad Moons Battalion Detachment with a war boss, with an attack squig and a power claw, and a shooter, a weird boy, three units of boys with tank buster bombs. Those are 90 boys, by the way. Uh, one pain boy, one unit of 15 Ludas, two weird boys, and three Gretchen, and another Bad Moons Battalion with a final third Bad Moons Battalion with uh, two big mechs, with one with a shock attack gun, one with a grot oiler and a custom force field, three units of Gretchen, and then what do you have it? A whole bunch of mech guns. I count twelve mech guns. You're correct. Eight smasher guns and four tractor cannons. Now, what did you notice that was a little bit odd about this list outside of the mech guns, which have started to become a bit of a thing? You know, he only brought one of the big mechs of the shock attack gun. Normally you see the dynamic duo in the two. Although I'm gonna be honest, Peter I am not an orc player. I don't see it. You don't see the big differential here? I do not. Everything was Bad Moons. Oh, you're right. I was just thinking that. The Bad Moons GT, all of them were Bad Moons. I got it. It was so obvious that it completely flew over my head. I mean, and the guy runs the Bad Moon the Cafe. The Bad Moon Cafe. You know what? I it just 
when things come together like that, sometimes it's just so perfect that an imperfect scrub like me just can't see it. Now, to be fair, Boris has uh, come on the record as saying that he would never play evil sons um, because uh, they're dastardly evil creatures and t- too good for this world. But um, rather than you listening to me say it, let's cut to a couple more clips of Boris as he talks about his list, how he somehow uh, cheated his way to victory. Uh, just joking, he probably didn't, even though he does once again own the event that this was run at and said he was going to win the event one week prior. But correlation does not always equal causation, as they say. Let's cut to those clips. So my list for the weekend. Um, After spending most of last season playing nothing but pure Drukhari, I have recently switched back to my first love, which is the Orcs, and in particular the Bad Moons. Um, My list is pretty um, typical for what you see for Orc lists nowadays with 90 boys and 15 looters and 12 smash guns and some characters. But what's slightly different is that my entire list is my army is open to yellow. Um, I love the bad monarchs, uh, and I think that the fluff bunny in me would die if I said that they're evil sons. Even though the plus one to move and charge uh, is really really helpful, I can't get myself to uh, to say that my yellow planet orcs are evil sons. MVP for the weekend. Um, <laughs> Every time you guys get an orc player, it inevitably is the relic shock attack gun. So it would be a bit boring if I said that. <clears throat> Although he did do 38 damage to a tank commander in the first turn of my last game, top table. So that was quite funny. But for me, it is the Ludus. Um, I know people have very strong opinions one way or another on Ludus. I personally think they have gotten better since the nerf. Um, obviously rolling for shots again is not as good, but uh, taking away mob-up for them has actually made them better, I think. The 25-man uh, looter was a bit of a trap, also less flexible, but I find that the 15-man looter unit is so incredibly versatile. The fact that they can um, sit at 48 inches, auto-hit on fives with exploding hits, um, can be the jumped around, um, to be hidden, can be grot shielded, can shoot again. Um, they are extremely, extremely um, key to my list. In the final game, in the first turn, they killed two Caladius Graft tanks. Um, probably a little better than average on the rows, but it just goes to show how good they are in the current meta with Eldar Flyers and minus one Custodius Graft tanks and um, <clears throat> a lot of sort of T7 uh, light vehicles. My hardest matchup of the weekend was my game three against Matt Reed, who is a wonderful opponent and a very, very good player, playing a an absolute um, monster of a list with three Tyrannus Crusaders, uh, two Punisher tank commanders, and um, a Graia battalion and a Loyal 32. So going into the matchup, I felt like um, the only way that I could win is by playing very cagey and trying to score as many points as possible and try to deny him scoring as many points as possible because his list has the firepower to basically take. So I played very cagey um, 
got some lucky moments go my way with the shock attack gun and my killer claw boss and um at the end it was a two-point victory i think it was a 27 25 or, or something similar so relatively low scoring game um but uh was fortunate enough to be able to pull out the victory and there you have it congratulations boris you did every orc player proud i hope we get to speak to you again soon now let's get one more at them bumps tournament news Hey everybody, I'm Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, and you're listening to 40k Stat Center. Grand Forks, British Columbia, home of just about nothing exciting. Seriously folks, we tried to do a lot of research for these events, and we got nothing. And we dug deep. As far as we can tell, nothing happens in Grand Forks per Wikipedia. It is just a place that exists. That being said, they apparently do put on a fine Warhammer GT. Hosted by, you guessed it, the Boardroom. The Boardroom Brawl was a 34-player ITC GT run by one Scott De Winter Wilke. You may remember him from one of our earliest episodes when he deftly won the amiable Bright GT in Kelowna. Scott was more than willing to provide us with all we ever wanted to know about the event, including their very unique takes on boards and terrain. I do recommend everyone take a look at their Facebook page to get an idea of how seriously ta- they take that aspect. Um, just just for your awareness, Pablo, in case you haven't had a chance to look, like their terrain was absolutely insane. All of their boards were themed and off the wall. Um, they had bridges. There was a jungle-themed one that had like a giant arch in the middle that you could go over. Um, there was a potentially controversial one that involved a cliff that, you know, if you didn't have flying units, probably sucked. Um, anyway, let's cut it to, uh, to Scott and hear what he had to say. This is our second year running. Uh, We're hoping to make it an annual event. Uh, We're looking to have it every August long weekend. So um, if you're wanting to come out to it, uh, have your August long weekend booked off well in advance because you will have an absolute blast. Uh, One of the highlights is we have a barbecue uh, where everyone comes to after the night of the first night and we all just have this wonderful shindig. It feels like a like a family reunion, but instead of with family, who you don't always like, it's with all friends who are like-minded and have similar interests in the hobby. The venue this year uh, was in the high school, which was uh, very well, a high school gym, which was um, very well received because there was tons of space. Um, There probably everyone had like a five-foot ring around every table uh, to their own table each. So we have a very unique stance on terrain. We don't use standardized ITC boards. Uh, We ask that the participants, and we announced it at the beginning of the tournament, um, we ask them to be aware that they're playing not just their opponent, not just the ITC missions, but the terrain as well. You have to take that into into account when you're playing. It's essentially the the third opponent or the second opponent. second opponent, third player, if you will. Um, You can check them out on the Boardroom Brawl uh, Facebook page, and you'll see there are very non-standardized ITC boards there. That said, we take a lot of pride and effort in our boards, and we ask our players to tell us which ones they like playing, which ones they didn't like playing, which ones felt thematic and fun and really immersed you in the game. Uh, this year's winner uh, was the uh, the graveyard, uh, and the this year's overall loser was the cliffside citadel. Um, it was a very uh, dividing uh, map, but we enjoy the different element it brings to the game and, and the way it makes you think differently. 
as far as the meta of the tournament goes, uh, we had a, it was about 50-50 split between people who were there for the barbecue and fun and were just bringing lists that were there to mess around with, uh, and the other half of them were bringing uh, fairly competitive lists. So we had about a 50-50 split, but the goal overall uh, was for people to have fun, and actually our biggest prize each year goes to the person who wins sportsmanship first. So that's uh, one of the things we do to try to help people have fun. In fact, we had an Imperial Agents player there, Sterling Batrick, who uh, <laughs> managed to win a game uh, with his only Imperial Agents and Fortresses. One final highlight, if I can add it, uh, is that uh, TELUS, of all people, uh, for the American listeners, that's, that's AT&T, um, but the Canada version, they sponsored our event. Uh, so we made them a feature table, and uh, they, they told us they really liked it, and they're hoping to work with us again in future. So hopefully that means even bigger prize pools uh, for the years to come. Hope to see you there. Bye. Maybe Reese could get AT&T to sponsor an event and throw him a new phone while they're at it so he doesn't have to take donated ones from the players to be able to upload his lists to BCP. And really, when we're thinking about it here, um, Reese has never given me a barbecue. The best I ever got was a handshake and a, I guess you're okay. You got an I guess you're okay, Peter? Anyway, unfortunately for us, we were unable to get a hold of the eventual event winner, Miles Scott. Um, like many West Coasters in Canada, he was he has likely foregone the use of the internet in return for actually being able to afford a home in the BC market. Miles brought one, a Lytok Battalion Detachment with a Farseer Skyrunner and a Warlock Skyrunner, both with Shuriken Pistols and Twin Shuriken Catapults. One unit of Guardian Defenders, 20 Guardian Defenders, two Rangers to back up that troop choice, a unit of five Scat Bikes, those are Wind Raider Scatter Laser Bikes for you non-7th edition players, an Eldari, uh, a Lytok Airwing Detachment with two Crimson Hunters and two Hemlock Wraith Fighters, and finally one a Lytok Spearhead Detachment with an Autark Skyrunner, a with a whole bunch of weapons on him. Uh, Mark of the Incomparable Hunter, Banshee Mask, Craft World's Warlord, Laser Lance, Reaper Launcher, a Shuriken Pistol, a Twin Shuriken Catapult, and the Shimmer Plume of Aquilirial. Followed up by three Fire Prisms in the Heavy Support slot. You know what, Pablo? You're really good at reading lists. Uh, Val would have taken probably six takes on that. You took one in just like a garbled the warlord. I'm very, very proud of you. Well, you know, you see, Peter, when you've read one Eldar Flyer list, you've read them all. It's true. It's very true. And I've gone on record on a couple of these shows of complaining a little bit about how most Eldar lists look relatively the same. But you know what? I'm going to give credit where credit's due. This is a pretty solid list. And at four flyers, it's not extreme. But, you know, getting to see those fire prisms, the guardian blobs, which have uh, been in and out of favor in the Eldar community, it just seems like a really, really solid list. And I'm, I'm glad to see it. Um, there's a lot of complaints online that if the Eldar flyer ever gets nerfed, Eldar players won't be, ever be able to win a tournament again. I think that's a little bit incorrect, but, you know, eh. with the new Space Marine Codex coming out, I don't know if anyone else is going to be able to win an event again. I'm actually kind of hoping that they do get nerfed. I kind of want to see Sean Naden put his witches away and go back to pure Eldar. Now, we could not go through an event without getting the thoughts from at least one of the actual players, so we turned our eyes to the second-place participant, Dayton Obrey. <laughs> Reportedly, Dayton had pleaded with Val for at least a mention on the show. Dayton, I've been there too. 
because he has never had a good showing in an event outside of what showed under his Speedos. And Val and Peter decided that, like they did with me, they just let him have it. Dayton over here from the BC Battle Brothers. Uh, just first off, big heads up to uh, Boardroom Brawl in Grand Forks, hosted by Scott D. Winterwicky, last name that'll make girls wet. Uh, he threw a fantastic grand tournament for his second year in a row, and that was hosted by the Boardroom. Uh, and second off, I want to say, how desperate does Val have to be where he gets the second place finisher of the GT to do the uh, voice clip? Uh, first place went to Miles Scott with his super fluffy four flyers and three prisms. And I went into it with a list of Morty, Renegade Knight, two war dogs with auto cannons. Uh, the Knight had double Gatling. A uh, Thousand Suns Detachment with uh, Armon, 30 Zangers, uh, Exalted, and two Rubik Marines. My strategy going into this game was uh, to submarine like I've never submarined before, and thanks to Riley Carter was my first matchup, and that was a Gene Steeler cult list. Uh, Riley's been sucking at the teeth of Alexander McDougal for quite some time, and has picked up some skills along the way. Uh, he proceeded to table me in turn three due to bad castling on my part. Uh, after that, I had a matchup against uh, a Necron list of a new player, just learning things out, helped him along the way, and then uh, helped him finish early by tabling him in turn three. And then my last match for the game was, uh, for the day, was against a, knight, or a list that was very similar. Uh, that was uh, Luke Gullibolt. And uh, basically what it came down to was he failed his deeds and his knight attacked last as he charged into Mortarion in my knight and proceed to lose it that night they did a barbecue and social event which was fantastic um people went pretty hard on that and then uh, the next morning i had a matchup against justin hines who is the owner of the boardroom a uh, fantastic guy uh, gave a lot and he had a, a double night list and uh, magnus and weaver of fates and basically what it came down to was he charged magnus into my night wasn't able to kill it, and I had the Coronate Ruin and took out Magnus, and then Mortarion cleaned up. And then for my last match was against uh, Chris Bennett. Uh, he had three Renegade Knights and four War Dogs. Uh, he got first turn, which was huge, uh, and then he failed to kill anything. And then Mortarion basically went out, cleaned everything up, and I proceeded to follow him around for six rounds and cleaned him off the board in the sixth round. To help out with Falcon a little bit, uh, there were, it was a 34-player GT, and there were 16 Knights at this, and 6 Disco Lords. Quite a few Chaos, um, and then for people that wanted to know, what I was wearing was just a jersey and shorts. Nothing special, but we did have one of the Patreons party a little too hard, and uh, he proceeded to try to sleep in the event, which then he got to see my ass go in his face. But uh, other than that, it was a great event. Uh, the terrain was really special and unique, and it really helped out uh, people that had flying units. But uh, fantastic tournament once again, and uh, super happy to come out of that with a 4-1 score and uh, add that on to my new team with the BCE Battle Bros. Thanks. Congratulations to Dayton on submarining to second place like a true competitor. May you and you beyond the Battlefield Brothers continue to provide us with all the bad takes we need. Let's throw another bump. Tournament news. Scarry here from Scardcast, and you are listening to Stats Center. And so we come to the beginning of the end of today's episode.
with our final major to cover, Into the Hellstorm Part 3, Revenge of the Dumplin'. It happened over the weekend in Sutton in Ashfield, United Kingdom. Held at the Sanctuary Gaming Center, a game store and an actual church. Into the Hellstorm brought all in all sorts of top-notch UK players, including Alex Stay Hydrated Harrison, Bethany the Black-Hearted Taylor, and Simon the Piranha Pritis. And after five rounds of fighting, the fires dimmed, the smoke settled, and a new winner was crowned. Jay Middlecote. Middlecote? Middlecote. Midlecote. Midlecote. I like that one. Pablo. You get the Mexican in ya. Speaking of the Mexican in me, how about this list? I'm just joking. There's nothing Mexican about it. Because three Night Crusaders and two Armager Helverins is all that makes up this House Crast list. I know. It's uh, both exciting and not. To be fair, um, this is the second uh, pure Knights list that we've seen win a major here in the last couple of months, and that in itself is probably exciting. Here's Jay with his take on the event and his win. So Mikey, when you were in the rules pack, had put quite a lot of um, restrictions on what you could bring. You had to have a monofaction army, you had to have either a battalion or a brigade, unless you were playing Imperial Knights or Chaos Knights. Um... All of your pre-battle choices had to be written on your list, so Warlord Traits, Relics, um, anything additional you were buying, such as Warlord Traits or Relics, had to be written down, uh, and which ones you couldn't choose in pre-each like game, you had to do it pre-event, as it were. Um, you couldn't take Assassins unless you used a stratagem, and there were some terrain rules as well that he'd, he'd created himself too. So quite a lot to take into account when writing your list. So because of the way that your list had to be written, I wanted to make my knights as durable as possible. I took the Sanctuary, uh, so 5-up Involved Save on my Warlord, as well as the um, Iron Bulwark Warlord trait on him. I took a 2-up Armor Save on another knight, because the 2-up will frequently become a 4-up. There's no point in stacking those on my Warlord. I took Headsman's Mark and the first knight Warlord trait for Crast on a third knight. I feel I had two knights that were already really tough to kill. They had a third one that was going to be likely to be able to take out a knight a turn by himself uh, or help deal with things like planes and stuff if I needed to. The hardest match for me was playing a tower in game five, but it was game five, so it should have been. Uh, I had to try and position my knights in a way to limit the amount of fire coming back in from my opponent, whether it was through line of sight blocking or trying to stay out of range of some of his weaponry, so when he did a carry on, it wasn't the fully effective monster that it was uh, going to be. Um, in the end, got very lucky in that game. Um, had a massive explosion from a knight that wiped out quite a lot of his stuff down on my turn four and kept me relevant. So Three Crusaders is a pretty tough list by itself. It's got all the firepower in the world and runners house crashed. You become extremely relevant in close combat. You get those free rerolls to hit every failed hit. And if you need to, there's a stratagem to really boost your damage output. Uh, as well by sixes exploding to up, even up to three hits against uh, other Imperial forces. Um, the stars of the show for me for the entire weekend were my two Helverins, um, using those to get hold more almost every game by removing people from objectives with the Crusaders uh, was amazing. Like that, That's definitely going to be a staple in my list going forward. Uh, I'm even looking at some of the new Forge World Knights, the little uh, Moiraxes as well, to try and fulfill some of that role as well. 
And that does it for this week's show. Pablo, how do you feel? I feel good. You know, this was a lot of fun. This was a good showing. I hope you guys enjoyed this special pirate episode, and I hope I did Val proud. I know that he's out there listening somewhere all by himself, editing all of this content, wishing that he could sleep. Much like Jim Vessel, in his underwear, alone, muttering to himself, Val, we miss you, buddy. I don't know how we can do this show without you. I hope you're back next week, because dealing with Pablo is difficult at the best of times. He's a bit of a prima donna. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Speaking of prima donna... Uh, Nick Nanavati was on Facebook putting his us on the line against someone whose name I forgot. You forget the name of the great Eric Lathuris, king of Australia, I think. Australia has a king, right? Uh, I think I think they're called um, queens, always. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So Queen Eric Lathuris, um, he of Grey Knight and Tyranid fame, um, has made a bet with Nick the old brown magic, about who is going to be able to come out ahead of each other at the ETC. Uh, if they do end up playing each other in the singles event in the ETC, ETC as far as I understand it, uh, the loser will have something tattooed on their butt. I do hope it's not Nanavati, because I would love to see the brown magic tattooed on someone's cheeks well uh to be fair i do believe the the bet was that the brown magic is exactly what eric would have to tattoo on his uh beloved butt cheeks and uh, nick had something else originally it was going to be eric's name but it's very long and i'm sure that would hurt quite a bit um and so now i i believe he has something else he has to put on there um you guys if you uh, look uh far enough online i believe in the comp 40k uh, facebook page um you'll see the video of these two drunken rapscallions uh, going over the the deal online um i'm pretty excited i really hope they get to play each other the first rounds were today of the uh where we're recording at least um by the time you guys listen to this it'll probably be over and you may or may not know um who actually fell to the needle i just want to know which serbian tattoo parlor parlor they're going to go to and it has to be done before the team tournament just has to yeah i mean you're right like um there really is no other better time than when you are in um a war-torn country to uh get your butt done Absolutely. And he means tattooed, by the way. Get your butt down can mean many different things. Oh, I suppose you're right. (laughs) Anyway, Pablo, do you have any last words? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Thank you guys very much for having me on in all seriousness. uh, I had an absolute blast. Um, If you would like to hear more from me, you can hit me up at Chapter Tactics, the 40K podcast on Frontline Gaming Network. Um, You may not have heard of it, but if you haven't, that is where I am, and Peter and Val are also co-hosts of that podcast as well. Yeah, we uh, didn't really talk about it, but uh, we just did an episode together uh, where we went over uh, a little bit of the new Space Marine previews and just, like, what's been winning right now with Imperium and how to deal with it. Uh, the great Grand, uh, Grandin, Grandin Brandt uh, <laughs> was on the episode along with uh, the Witch King of Angmar himself, uh, Reese Robbins. Um, it was a really great episode. I'm always happy to get on the show, especially with heavyweights like that where I can feel completely intimidated and outmaneuvered uh, throughout the entirety of the show. 
Um, and uh, if you guys are super interested in helping us out, helping Chapter Tactics out, you can always check out the Chapter Tactics Patreon page. I believe this month uh, Pablo is going to be giving away a painted, um, to your choice, by the way, he's not doing it himself, contrary to popular belief, um, HQ model, hopefully of the Space Marine variety as it's his favorite, but uh, I believe he'll go with really anything uh, that's in that size range. Am I right, Pablo? Yes, absolutely. So one lucky patron is going to win a painted character model, uh, probably a Space Marine model because there's a bunch of new models coming out, um, and I've got a lot of Space Marine lieutenants laying around. However, if you don't play Space Marines, we can do something else for you. Anyway... That's it for the show, guys. Uh, Once again, thanks for listening. I hope you all have an excellent uh, weekend. Spread love and be kind. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. 